Hello and welcome to another podcast episode. I'm Ray and this time we're going to be talking about making things. In the old days, people made things. Now you're probably wondering what they made. Anything, anything from a doll's house to a pelmet for a curtain. Do you know what that is? Do you know what a pelmet is for a curtain? You know, when you draw the curtains across, you've got the rail at the top, haven't you? Okay, that rail we used to, in the old days, in the 50s and 60s, like it hidden. I mean, these days, the plastic rails are all out in the open, aren't they? Or the pole. A lot of people use poles now, which I suppose are okay. I don't like them. But that's probably <laughs> that's probably because I'm old-fashioned. But the, the pelmet business, that came about to hide the, the curtain rail itself. And going back along, I don't know when, 20s was it, or earlier? I don't know. The pelmets were actually material. It was a strip of material hanging down, wasn't it, to hide the rail? I mean, I, I'm saying, wasn't it? Do you remember that? I don't. None of us were probably even born then. Then they went over to a wooden pelmet. So the pelmet front was hardboard and it would be painted or whatever you do with it. And you'd shape the bottom of the hardboard into sort of not circles or um, not even semicircles, you know, curved bits on the bottom. So if you look all the way along, it looks like a looks like the sea. <laughs> and the hardboard was often what they called reeded hardboard. Who remembers reeded hardboard? Reeded as in R-E-E-D-I-N-G. No, not I-N-G, as reading. Goodness me. Sorry, it's early in the morning. It's, what is it? 6.30 a.m. and it's Friday. Friday the, I forgot a date somewhere, 28th of May. What a hot day yesterday. Good grief. I was out in the garden in my shorts. Not the first time this year. When was it? Back in April, wasn't it? We had a few very, very hot days. And of course, everyone's thinking summer's arrived. And then, <laughs> and then a couple of days after that, it was wet, cold, wind, lashing, rain, central heating switched back on. I turned the heating off. Do you know, in the old days, I used to turn the heating off in March. I remember the end of March, that's it, turn the heating off. We're not going to need that anymore. I mean, now, only the other day we had the heating on. Anyway, it's, uh, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah, reeded hardboard. It's got like bumps on it. And that's not a good description, is it? Bumps. It's, you know, hardboard. If you run your hand over the shiny side, not the rough side, the shiny side, it's smooth, isn't it? Well, reeded had um, like ridges in it, ridges running all the way across it. So you'd make your pelmet out of that, make the wooden frame and screw that up to the, the ceiling or the lintel or whatever it is you've got. Then the front, the hardboard bit was reeded and also with the curved bits on the bottom and then painted on it hides the curtain rail. Of course, curtain rails, do you remember this? They were metal, weren't they? Were they brass? I don't suppose they were brass. They were metal and they had metal rollers. Each curtain hook went onto a, like metal rollers was it two or four little rollers? And when you draw the curtains, what a noise. You, know, you could hear it. If someone's drawing the curtains upstairs, you could hear it downstairs. It was that loud. Because now we've got all these plastic or nylon or whatever they are, curtain things, and they seize up. I find these, perhaps it's me, I find that they seize up. You go to pull the curtains across and it'll stick. And you've got to reach up and sort of do it from the top. Otherwise... <laughs> Otherwise, what happens is exactly what happened to me last year. Rip the whole curtain rail down. I was just sort of yanking it, going, uh, 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 trying to get the curtain across. And the whole rail came down. Oh, dear, that was funny. Well, actually, it wasn't because I had to put it all back up again. We never draw the curtains. Well, I've just said I pulled the rail down last year. The only time we draw the curtains is when the grandchildren come to stay because they like the curtains drawn because they're normal. <laughs> I'm not normal. I don't like the curtains drawn in the lounge, in the bedroom at night. I like to see out. I know, you know people have said, oh, well, people can see in as they walk past in the street. They can see into your lounge. Well, I don't mind. <laughs> I'm not doing anything that I don't want people to see. Uh, I wouldn't do that in the lounge anyway. So I, I just like to see outside, even when it's dark at night. I like to, when I'm in bed, be able to look up at the sky, see the stars, the moon. If I had my way, I wouldn't even have net curtains. Have you got net curtains? I mean, they're, I don't know, they're awful, but a lot of people have blinds, don't they? Either horizontal or vertical sort of blinds. I don't like those. 
uh, mainly because I don't know why don't I like them. Well, they get covered in dust with the net curtains. At least every now and then you can take them down, wash them, put them back up again. I mean, there's no ironing or anything. You just let them dry in the garden and hang them back up again. And while they're down, clean the windows once every three years. No, no, no. So the thing is with blinds, I, I don't know. I just don't like the idea. Talking of cleaning windows. No, we won't go on to that. I'm meant to be talking about making things. I was just going to say window cleaners these days. We don't have a window cleaner. The reason being, we used to. A chap used to come around with his ladders on his bike, you know, he'd do it all properly. He had his bucket. He'd ask for some warm water. He had soap that he put in it. He had his cloth and his rags and his chamois leather thing. He'd be up his ladder doing it all properly. These days, they come around with a pole and on the end of this big pole is a brush and there's water squirting out of it. Well, I don't see any soap at all, anything like that. It's just water. And they brush up and down on the windows upstairs and downstairs and they don't dry them off. They don't use a leather, a chamois leather. That's it. They just leave them are all running with water and I don't know what they charge for that but uh, a couple of times they stopped here and they said do you want your windows done and I said no no thanks it's just a shame I suppose it's like everything else isn't it in the old days everything was done properly uh, you, you know you wouldn't dream of just using a hose pipe squirting water at a window and using a brush and then just squirting it with more water and walking off and saying well that's done you know, where's all the all, all the window frames that our chap used to do? He'd have his soapy cloth and then he'd rinse it off. Then he'd use the chamois leather. Anyway, there we are. That's the old days, the good old days when things were done properly, when people made things. I said to my son the other day about this episode, I said, it's going to be about making things, how people used to make things in the old days and now they don't. And he said, what do you mean? I make things. I've just made an office desk. And he has. He's made a lovely office desk for his wife. It's really nice. And, and he's made, well, I forget now, but various other things. So I'll have to change that from no one makes anything these days to some people do. I mean, in the old days, dads had a shed. You know, all dads had a shed. And in that shed, they'd have all their tools, a workbench, woodwork tools, metalwork tools. Now, now don't get me wrong, not every dad did this because not everyone can use their hands. They're not all mechanically minded. They're not all would-be carpenters. You know, some people just can't do it. Uh, I know a chap mentioning no names is put up a shelf two or three times and it just falls down again. He just hasn't got whatever it is, whatever it takes. He hasn't got the knack. He can't put up shelves. And when it does go up, it's crooked and it falls down anyway after a while. But in the old days, people made stuff. If you wanted a shelf in your kitchen, for example. Now, I'm going back to the 40s, the 50s, when people didn't have a lot of money. You, know, you couldn't go out and buy everything. My chair's creaking again. Sorry about that. You couldn't go out and buy whatever you wanted. I mean, these days, you want a shelf, you go and buy one. And it's, uh, it's a plank, isn't it, of plywood or whatever. It's got the, the wooden support things. And you buy it and you put a couple of holes in the wall and screw it up. Whereas back then, you would get your own piece of wood. You'd cut it to size. You'd sandpaper it. You'd bevel the edges. You'd do it all like that. And then you'd, you'd put it up. You'd paint it or varnish it or whatever. And you, you'd spend some time putting up this shelf rather than just going up the road to the store, buying one and banging it on the wall with a couple of screws. I went out with this girl back in the early 70s. Oh, here we go again. No, no, no. No, it's nothing about girlfriends. I went out with this girl. I mean, she's irrelevant. Well, she's not. I was in her bedroom. Hang on, I've got to... Let me start again. I went out. I knew this girl in the 70s. And I went round to her house and happened to be in her bedroom. Uh, how do I explain that? Anyway, her dad was there. Yeah, that's it. Her dad was in the bedroom as well. <laughs> stop thinking, stop that. Come on, behave. She had this doll's house. This is what it's all about. This huge doll's house. It must have been, what, four feet wide, this, this thing. This mansion wasn't a house. It must have been two or three feet tall, quite deep, 18 inches deep. It was a huge house and her dad had made it. The reason I was in her bedroom with her and her dad was because she told me about it and I'd said I'd like to see it. So she took me to her bedroom to show it to me. The house, the doll's house, so stop it. So 
her dad had made this house and it was absolutely brilliant. This was, as I say, uh, early 70s. We were both about, I don't know, 20 years old. I can't, I don't know what we were, 20 years old. This was her house she'd had since she was about 12 when her dad had made it. And what he'd done, he'd put little electric lights in each room. There were table lamps and a little ceiling light in each room. And he was into electronics like I was at the time. And he got it all set up with these transistors and relays in a little box behind the doll's house where you couldn't see it. And the lights would, for example, a light would come on in the lounge. And then after a while, one would come on in the hall and then the landing upstairs and then the, the bathroom. So someone's obviously left the lounge, gone into the hall, up the stairs, into the bathroom. Then the bathroom light would go off. Then the bedroom light would come on. It was brilliant how he did it all. Quite a clever chap. Well, extremely clever to build the, the doll's house like that. It was absolutely fantastic. Now, where the girl comes into this, no, no, no. She started making furniture because her dad made the house and didn't have any furniture for it. She started getting little blocks of wood and carving them into pieces of furniture, little bits of pine, so it's not hardwood like oak. And she started doing this when she was 12. She's now 20, and she is really professional at this. And all around her bedroom, she was selling this stuff. I mean, there wasn't eBay then. She was selling doll's house furniture. I mean, I, I don't, we only knew each other for a few months. I don't know what happened. Maybe she went into to business and, and whatever, but this was all privately. She was selling the furniture just friends, friends of friends. But it was fantastic. And I remember looking at this TV she'd made for the lounge in this doll's house, all carved out of a block of wood. The front was curved where the screen is. That is a, the, the box itself, the TV itself. The back stuck out a bit like they used to, if you remember. And she put four legs on it and she painted it all. She was a real, I don't know, an artist. She was fantastic. She painted this little telly. The screen on the front was grey, like they used to, you know, the old uh, cathode ray tubes, the old tubes. They were grey on the front when they weren't turned on. The wooden box, then the back was brown, then the legs. She'd done all this. she made a load of furniture, for not only for her doll's house, but it was all round her bedroom. You know, hundreds, I would say hundreds of little pieces of furniture, which she was selling. And I can only imagine that she went on later on, after we'd split up, to sell it as a business. I don't know. I, I lost touch with her after that. It's a shame. Did you lose touch with people? Perhaps it was me. I don't know anyone from school. <laughs> I don't know why I don't know anyone from school. I didn't like anyone at school. That's probably why. And I don't suppose they like me. But a lot of people I know these days, they've got friends that they met at school. Well, I haven't. I haven't got any friends. <laughs> My wife laughs at that. It's true. In fact, my granddaughter, was it, the other day, she said, have you got any friends, granddad? And I said, well, no. And she said, well, that, she said, that's because you're weird and no one likes you. And I said, well, yeah, fair point. There is that. It's, I don't know. I don't have, I've got a lot of, a lot of acquaintances. You know, chat to people on the radio, on amateur radio, ham radio, chat to people there. But I don't have friends as such, like some people do. Anyway, there we are, I hated school. Funnily enough, I was talking to my mum yesterday, went round to see her, and she reminded me my first day at school, when I was, what, five or something, she took me round to the primary school, and at playtime, I walked home, it was only around the corner, I walked home, and she said that she had to take me straight back to school, and she spoke to the teachers there, and apparently the teachers were saying, he doesn't like it here at all, he just doesn't like school at all. And from that, that my very first day at school, I hated every day at school till I left when I was 14. So that girl, yeah, she showed me, she had this big table in her room. They, had, they lived in a big house. I mean, they had some money. It was actually a, a private estate they lived on. And she had this big table in her bedroom and it was full of all the little modeling tools, uh, you know, Stanley knife type thing, you know, um, modeling knife, whatever it's called, but loads of little like chisels, that you, you know, not that you bang with a mallet, but you kind of carve things. With, I don't know what they're called. This whole table was set out with small modeling woodworking type tools. Then she had another table next to that with all her painting stuff, all the little pots. Was it the little humbrol pots of enamel paint? Was it? I can't remember. She had a load of paint brushes and all the gear, bits of rag and stuff. Fantastic. You know, she was well into it. I do hope that she went on 
to you know do her own business. I don't know where she worked. She did go to work. She had a job somewhere. So I hope that she was able at some stage to give up her job and sell doll's house furniture. Probably a bit of a niche thing, isn't it? You're not going to make a lot of money out of that. I wouldn't have thought. I don't know. But uh, yeah, good on her. It's absolutely brilliant to, to have known her and to see what she'd actually done. And her dad, of course. I made a cold frame. Do you know what a cold frame is? I mean, again, these days you can go and buy one. What it is, basically, is a wooden box that you plonk in the garden on a, on a border that's dug over. And it's got, well, these days, it's, a plastic, it's probably a plastic box with a plastic lid that hinges up. Back in those days, you made it out of wood. You made the, the frame on top, the hinged bit, with glass panels in. And you put plants in there or seeds in there that you wanted to bring on, say, in the springtime. It was a bit too cold outside. You didn't have a greenhouse, so you had this cold frame. I don't know why it was cold, probably because it wasn't heated. But I made one of those at the first house I ever, ever bought, put that in the garden. And I, I just, in there, I put all sorts of little things, uh, radishes and stuff like that. It was great fun. Lettuces from seed, start them off in there and then put them out in the garden when, when they're big enough or when the weather's warmed up, all sorts of stuff like that. But again, it was something that I made myself. It's not lettuces, is it? It's lettuce. Someone the other day was, oh, not the other day, weeks ago when the little bulbs were coming up, someone said, oh, look at all the crocuses. And I didn't correct them because it's not crocuses, is it? It's crocus. Plural is crocus. Anyway, don't worry about that. My dad made a coffee table for our lounge. And now I'm, oh, how old was I then? Oh, I don't know, 14. And that was pretty good. He got a nice piece of wood for the top. He sanded it all down, covered it, I remember it was either six or eight coats of what they called polyurethane. It was this really hard kind of varnish stuff. And it went, this went on and on, week in, week out. And my mum kept saying, when are we going to be able to use the coffee table? Oh, no, no, I've got to do another two coats yet. And of course, each coat had to dry for a few days. It went on and on. But in the end, the coffee table was finished. And it was great. It lasted for years. Again, these days, what do you do? You go and buy a coffee. Well, not you, but people. They go and buy stuff. We get a lot of second-hand furniture. Uh, you know, not so, so much the three-piece suite or our bed, but we like going and getting second-hand, uh, not chipboard stuff. I can't stand chipboard. I mean, our, our kitchen cupboards are chipboard, and they're awful. They're covered in melamine or whatever it's called. They're just white kitchen cupboards, but they're chipboard. And one of the cupboard doors, the one under the sink, the hinge pulled out of the chipboard, and it's pulled the chipboard apart, so you can't put it back. So there's a major problem. You can't just replace the, the cupboard under the sink because it's holding up the sink and all the plumbing. And Oh, it's a nightmare. I know you can buy expensive kitchen units that aren't chipboard. They're proper wood, hardwood or whatever. I know you can do that, but they cost a lot of money. I mean, even the chipboard rubbish costs a lot of money. So I'm going to have to do something with this hinge thing. It's <laughs> the door's hanging off. Well, it's not now because I took it off. It was hanging off for a couple of weeks and I kept getting told off. What are you going to do about that door? So in the end, I took the door off. And now we've got under the sink, there's no door. You can see all the, the cleaning stuff. <laughs> so I'm going to be in trouble unless I do something about that door fairly soon. We got some nice secondhand furniture from my son and his wife when they moved. There was um like, it's pine. I think it's pine stuff. We got a a nice unit for the dining room with doors and drawers on top. Uh, I don't know what you call it, a cupboard, I suppose. And we've got a nice set of drawers for the bedroom. It's ever so long, low and long, and it's all pine. It's lovely stuff. He just, you know, when he moved, he couldn't take it all with him. So he gave it to me, which was a result. Thank you for that. <laughs> but it's not chipboard. You know, I just hate chipboard. We've tried to get chipboard out of the house as much as possible. I mean, something, we've got a wardrobe, a huge wardrobe thing in the bedroom, and we've moved it three times now, and it won't move again. Because you try and, even if you dismantle it, it doesn't like it. You know, these weird fittings they have that where it all joins together, all the chipboard panels. The back is hardboard, and it's the back that's nailed on that keeps the thing square. It stops it rocking side to side. It's all cheap rubbish, really. Well, it's not cheap but it's still rubbish. But we moved it now three times and it won't move again. 
the next time we try to move it, the thing will fall apart, which might be a result, actually. Obviously, people these days don't have the time. I say, obviously, people don't have time. They don't, do they? You can't start making a table. People just don't have the time for it. I don't know. Time hasn't changed, has it? You know, time is still time. It runs at the same speed. And yet these days, people don't have time for anything. You know, if I said to someone, well, why don't you make a coffee table? Or why don't you make a cupboard? I remember my dad made a telephone table for the hall. I'll tell you about that in a minute. But, you know, people would say, well, I haven't got time for that. Good grief. I haven't got time to start making tables and things. And time hasn't changed. So what's happened? People are doing more things. But why are they doing more things? Because these days, everything's done for you, isn't it? You know, you put the washing in the machine and press a button. That's that done. You've got automatic vacuum cleaners that roam around the house. Lawnmowers that roam around the lawn out in the garden, you know, mowing the lawn for you. You don't have to do that. So how come people haven't got any time? I don't know. I don't understand it. They've got time to sit there for hours on end looking at the tablet or computer screen or whatever. (laughs) But they haven't got time to make a table. So in the old days, everyone had a telephone in the hall. Can you hear that? Talking of washing machines. Our washing, what is it with washing machines? Why are they so noisy? That is, I'm upstairs at the front of the house. That is downstairs at the back of the house in a utility room. Not the kitchen, it's miles away. And yet the thing, honestly, it shakes half the street. What was I saying? Oh, that's right. In the old days, everyone had their telephone in the hall. Goodness knows why. I mean, who wants to stand in the hall on the phone? So they didn't stand. They had a telephone table with a little seat next to it. Now, again, my dad made one of these. It was a a table. It was a long thing. Half table, half seat. And under the phone, there was a shelf for the telephone directory. I mean, again, these days, people don't have a telephone directory. I bet you youngsters are saying, what's that? Well, it's a book full of people's phone numbers, uh, which is no good these days because half the people don't have landline phones anyway. And the other half are (laughs) ex-directory. So there's about 10 numbers in the book for each town. Well, not quite 10, a bit more than that, 12. But he made this telephone table and it was really good. It, uh, you know, it, again, it lasted years. You didn't go and buy everything in those days. This is the whole point of this episode, of course, people making stuff. A friend of mine, well, it was his dad, actually, when I was a kid, he made a shed. He wanted a shed down the garden, so he made one. He put down the, the base, the concrete base, he got a load of packing cases. I'm not sure it was some, I think he must have got them from where he worked. Packing cases. They were like pallets, you know, the wooden pallets you see these days. Like those, but not quite. I went, anyway, it doesn't matter what they were like. And he took all this wood apart and it was really decent wood, as it would be back then. Wood, would be, <laughs> sorry. And he built this shed. He did the floor, covered it all in creosote. I mean, you could get creosote then, unlike these days, not allowed to buy creosote unless you're a farmer. You have to have a license to buy creosote. There are substitutes, which I use, which it's not as good, but it sort of works. Then he built the four walls, put the door on, made the door. Oh, I'll tell you about our back gate in a minute. He made the door. He put a sloping roof on it, covered that in roofing felt, creosote the whole thing. And, you know, that shed... It's probably still there now. wouldn't mind betting that shed is still there now, all these decades later. Our back gate. When we moved here decades ago, we made a back gate. My father-in-law and I made a back gate because we were redoing fencing and stuff. We bought the wood and we laid all the wood out on the patio, screwed it together, not nails, screwed it all together properly, made this really nice back gate. Creosote again, covered the whole thing in about three or four coats of creosote. And the gate was brilliant. Do you know that gate is still there all these decades later? And at the very time, this is the thing. My son says that a lot. Now, here's the thing, he says. Now, here's the, why do people say that? I'll say it. Now, here's the thing. At the time, a friend of mine bought a new back gate. His back gate, after 10 years, I remember him saying, oh, it only lasted 10 years. He bought another one. And the one, the one he's got now is beginning to rot. Our back gate is still going strong. And I, I, we do, we laugh about this. Well, I say friend of mine, I haven't got any friends. This bloke I know. <laughs> no, actually, he's, he's not a bad friend. A kind of good acquaintance. But this is the whole point. Here's the thing. 
isn't it? This is the thing. The one we made is still going strong. He's now having to think about buying a third back gate. Ours is still going strong. His also, apart from rotting, it's it's all dropping because it was nailed. Well, they don't even use nails, do they? At these factories where they make things, they use staples or whatever, and they're all just banged in you know, by machine or with a hand sort of machine thing, all banged in. The wood is the cheapest wood possible. It's just awful. You know, the wood we bought for our back gate was decent stuff. If a job's worth doing, do it properly. Uh, as with the back gate, it's still there and it won't need replacing. I shall creosote it again this summer. Well, substitute creosote. It won't need replacing for another few decades, I wouldn't imagine. And when it does, well, mind you, I'll be very old by then. <laughs> when it does, though, I'll make one or I, I shall get one of the son-in-laws. That's the answer. That's what you have kids for, isn't it? So they marry people and you have son-in-laws and sons and stuff all around to do jobs for you when you're older. I shall sit there on the patio with my cup of coffee or a beer and I shall say, right, those bits of wood go there, screw those together, cut those to fit that. <laughs> oh dear, they listen to this. Well, I know my son listens to this. So there you are, when I next need a back gate, you, you can come around and make it for me. It all comes down to money, doesn't it? I mean, again, if you buy a decent back gate, if you spend some proper money on a decent back gate, and treat it properly each year or whenever, it will last for decades. But I'm talking about in the 50s and 60s, people didn't have a lot of money and you couldn't buy everything. You had to, we were coming out of the, or still in the make do and mend era, really, weren't we? So people couldn't go and buy an expensive, a decent oak back gate or decent hardwood. But what they could do was get some wood themselves uh, there was a lot of wood around then. I don't know how expensive wood was back then, but you could get some decent wood and make your own back gate, which, as I say, would last forever. Anyway, let's, <laughs> let's move away from back gates and we'll talk about kitchen cupboards again. I remember when I was five years old, we moved into a new bungalow, brand new build. Well, I've said it, haven't I? Build, I hate that. What a stupid expression, a new build. It was a new bungalow. <laughs> a new building, but not a new build. I don't know why people, well, I said it myself, so there we are. It just shows how, how you pick up these things and they stick. The kitchen of this place had fitted cupboards and it had worktops, not melamine. It was formica in those days. Which I like formica. It was a good surface. It, it wasn't as good as the worktops these days. You know, you start using a knife on it in the kitchen and there were lines in it, it would wear out and it would scratch. But what I was going to come to is that this is the days before chipboard. So the cupboards were actually wood. I think they were probably plywood or something like that, not solid wood, but perhaps plywood. But they were pretty good and they had proper hinges. And I remember they were painted cream. Was it magnolia, sort of cream? Everything was cream in those days, wasn't it? In the 50s. And the handles, the drawer handles, and cupboard handles were red. And the taps, do you remember super taps? They were weird. They were. It was the new thing, super tap. And you could replace the tap washer, apparently, without turning the water off. I'm not quite sure how that worked, but that I remember that being done. But the kitchen, that I think that was the first kind of fitted kitchen. When they first came about, you didn't just stand a unit there, stand a cupboard there, put a cupboard on the wall, put some shelves over there. You know, you had this fitted kitchen fitted cupboards and a worktop with cupboards underneath the sink was on top of a cupboard so it was all fitted which was I don't know that was the beginning I, unfortunately chipboard came along and ruined everything when we first decorated the dining room here our dining room was the kitchen and our kitchen was what they called the scullery a scullery was that's basically where the sink was and you do the washing the floor was tiled uh, you know, not floorboards. It was a concrete floor with something like quarry tiles on, you know, the red tiles in the old days. I mean, our house is, is it next year? It's 100 years old. So it's got some real character. You know, it's fantastic. It's an old build. <laughs> can you say old build? Well, old, yes, you can. Well, I've just said it. So the, the dining room was actually the kitchen. In there was a range, you know, the old coal uh, type cooking range 
Fantastic. Unfortunately, that's gone. It had been taken out. Would have been great if that had been left there. But what I was going to say was, when we stripped off about 3,000 layers of wallpaper, we found marks on the wall where there had been shelving. And it was just the alcove uh, next to the chimney press, you know, like alcoves you get. It was There were huge shelves to the left in that alcove, quite a big alcove. And they would have been put up by whoever made themselves, you know, perhaps out in the garden, saw the wood up, nail the battens around the, the wall to put the shelving on. It was it would all have been a homemade job or or perhaps a local neighbour or someone who's into a bit of carpentry. I don't think people not people that didn't have a lot of money anyway, you know, they didn't start phoning up a carpenter. Well you couldn't phone anyone back then. There wasn't a phone. Most people didn't have phones, did they, till the sixties. And you couldn't just go you know, running to a, a carpenter or running to a, a builder all the time. You, you just couldn't afford it. So people made their own. But these shelves, you can see the marks on the wall when all the wallpaper had gone. The walls, by the way, were like gloss cream. Again, this magnolia cream colour. And it was gloss. They did that. They painted everything with gloss in those days. The ceilings were distempered. What's distemper? I thought that was a disease. But it's a, it's a paint, isn't it, as well? And under the floorboards upstairs, uh, we were rewiring the place. There's the old gas pipes for the gas lighting. How about that? Can you imagine that these days, having gas lighting? I don't know. And kids say, oh, it's not fair. This isn't fair. That's not fair. Good, good grief. Can you imagine the kids back in the, in the kind of 1920s? You know, I can't see. Oh, my bedroom's dark. Would we'll turn the gas light up a bit. <laughs> it's funny thinking back to the old days friend of mine he had a shed uh he had he had a little bit of money uh so he bought a shed it was really nice of course and he wanted a workbench well you would normally get some wood and build a workbench oh no he didn't he bought one now this is oh late 60s i think and i remember it was 20 pounds this workbench and that back in the late 60s to most people that was a lot of money and i remember thinking good grief you know <laughs> stone the crows I don't know why people stone crows I looked at this workbench yes it was nice it was made out of very thick plywood it was nice but 20 quid I remember thinking wow you know that you could what you could buy for that and I did say to him you know why didn't you make a bench oh I can't be bothered you know by the time I've got the wood etc because these days Wood is expensive. I don't know what the price was then, but it's expensive these days. I was going to make, you know, these A-frame tables, you know, they have in pubs, don't they? Pub gardens is a table with the two benches. Are they A-frame things? Whatever they are. Well, we were going to buy, we wanted one. We were going to buy one. And I thought, well, hang on a minute, I'll make one. All it is, is bits of wood and coach bolts, you know, nuts and bolts. That's all it is. So I worked out the price of the wood. I spent some time working out the price of the wood. And, you know, it was more, a lot more than buying one of these A-frame benches. Uh, by the time you got the coach bolts as well and treated it all, etc., it just worked out a hell of a lot more than the, the, you know, the bought thing. And it wasn't decent wood either. I was just doing ordinary wood, pine-type wood. Uh, a chap I knew, one of my neighbours years ago, he wanted some wood to make a, a garden seat or something and he bought one of these a-frame things and he didn't put it together as an a-frame he made a garden bench out of it because that was the cheapest way to buy the wood isn't that weird you would think that it's cheaper to buy the wood itself so he bought the the a-frame didn't put it all together as an a-frame you know bench type table seat thing he actually made a, a garden bench seat and it was lovely this seat he made it was lovely of course, there was plenty of wood from the what would have been a table. And it was lovely. He didn't creosote it because you don't want to sit on creosote, do you? It takes weeks and weeks. Well, I don't think it dries properly for a long, long time. But I've known other people do that as well. You know, buy something in kit form and use the wood for something else, not for what it was intended. In fact, if you want reasonably priced wood for building things in the garden, there's this decking, you know, you buy these lengths of decking. Uh, I mean, you know, it, it does warp and buckle and rot over the years, but it's a, a cheap way of buying bits of wood if you're just making something in the garden, like perhaps a raised border or something like that. 
Um, well, no, people use railway sleepers for that. But whatever you're making, I mean, for example, a shed floor. A friend of mine replaced a shed floor with decking. It was beginning to rot. He took all the floor out and put decking in there and again used creosote or whatever it is these days, substitute, and it made a perfectly good floor. I mean, that will last for decades. One thing I made years ago that I was very proud of, someone gave me a radio, you know, the old valve type wooden cabinet radios. And the cabinet had really bad woodworm. It was live woodworm. There were little piles of sawdust inside where the worms were eating their way through the wood. So I threw the cabinet away and I made my own cabinet for it. I was really pleased. I only made it out of plywood, but I was really pleased with it. And this friend of mine, I was just going to sort of varnish the plywood. And this friend of mine who was into woodworking, he said, why don't you veneer it? And I said, I can't, yeah, I can't do veneer. I couldn't do that. Good grief, can't do that. Anyway, he told me, he had a sheet of veneer, which he gave me, and he told me how to do it. And this was my first ever attempt at veneering anything. And, you know, it, I say it myself, it was absolutely brilliant. I was so, I was impressed. I looked at it, <laughs> I thought, good grief. Did I do that? I couldn't believe it. And once I'd veneered it, I then used, um, what was it, Danish oil or whatever it was in those days. And I polished, sealed it and polished it and all this. He, he told me what to do. And this radio, you know, I put the, the radio in the chassis itself. I made a back panel out of hardboard for it. And it was absolutely brilliant. You know, people admired it. People that came around said, oh, wow, where'd you get that radio from? I said, well, I made the cabinet myself. And a friend of mine, uh, I keep saying friends of mine. I haven't got any friends, as I said earlier. They're all these, when I say friend of mine, I mean people I knew. <laughs> uh, people I didn't like. No, of course I like them. This one chap, this friend of mine, he said, how do you do the veneer? So I told him and he said, you know, I've got this coffee table at home. And he said, oh, the, the top of it is all very rough and it wants re-veneering. He loved the table. But anyway, he went and bought a sheet of veneer and he did it. And I saw that and it was brilliant. So I suppose the moral of that story is don't think to yourself as I did. Oh, I couldn't do that. Good grief. There's no way I could do that because it's easier than you think. The holes, you know, where the, the shafts go through for the knobs to go on, you, you put the veneer on, then where you need the holes, you can use a round file, just drill out a little bit of it and then use a round file to file the veneer to the size of the hole in the original cabinet. If I can do it, anyone can do it. It's not difficult. I think a lot of people think, oh, I won't attempt this or I won't attempt that because I'm not up to it or it's too difficult, complicated. It's not. I've always said, you know, give it a go. Have a go yourself. If you muck it up, well, it doesn't matter. You know, if you mucked up the veneer, it doesn't matter. Rip it all off <laughs> and, uh, you know, get someone else to do it or just have a go. Back in the good old days, you remember these sort of uh, conservatory things on the back of the house? I think they were called an enclosure. I remember my grandparents had one. They called it the enclosure. I don't know why. It basically was a, a wooden frame conservatory, wooden frame with a door and glass in it. And theirs was about, not too big actually, about eight feet by eight feet, something like that. And you step out of the back door into this enclosure, sloping glass roof, and then... In there, they could have things like pot plants, geraniums and things. It was like a, a mini greenhouse, if you like, stuck on the back of the house. And this neighbour of mine, I'm going back a long time. This is before all the double glazing conservatories with heating in and air conditioning and TV and all this sort of nonsense. <laughs> this neighbour of mine, he built an enclosure on the back of his bungalow. We had bungalows where I lived. And he built this enclosure and it was great. He built a low brick wall. I'm no good at bricklaying. Anyway, he built this low brick wall around the, you know, the back of the house, the, the, the kitchen door. And then on top of that, he built this wooden frame, basically like a greenhouse, which is what they were back then. Not double glaze, all that nonsense. <laughs> proper wooden frame, a proper enclosure. And he glazed it all. He got the glass and he glazed the whole thing all the wooden frame he painted. I can't do puttying. I mean, it doesn't apply these days. Do you remember watching people replace a pane of glass? They'd use putty. They made it look so simple. I've watched people do it in the old days, go around with a putty knife. Perfect. And after about a week, the putty's gone hard and you can paint it. 
Anyway, this chap, he, he did that himself. He did all the puttying and it was absolutely brilliant. He put electric light out there for night time, light switch on the wall. And it was quite a big one. I don't know what size it was. It must have been, well, 12 feet, 12 by eight, something like that. 12 by six. I'm not sure. Pretty big. And I wanted to do one myself, but I, I didn't think I could. Again, I should have had a go. He would have helped me. But again, it was something he made himself, which is, as I keep saying, that's what people did then. They didn't just keep picking up the phone. Oh, we want a conservatory. You know, we need a new table, a coffee table. Oh, we'll have it de delivered in a flat pack. They weren't flat packs. Good grief. Flat pack? Yeah, you get this loaded chipboard, don't you, in a flat cardboard box with instructions that don't make sense unless you read them upside down and inside out. And you put it all together. This is the thing, isn't it? You put it all together. You're almost there. And hang on, that shelf won't go in. Why won't that shelf go in? You look on the bit of paper. Ah, because that should have gone in before I put this bit in and that bit. So you've got to take it all to bits to put this, this, this shelf in. Flat packs. I hate them. Do you remember car ports? Port as in P-O-R-T, not port as in port and lemon. That's a nice drink carports a lot of people didn't have garages houses that they built for example the bungalow we moved into when i was five years old that was in 1956 yeah 1956 none of the bungalows had garages you had a driveway that just ended there's the garden because most people didn't have a car so what people would do they couldn't afford a garage they built a carport and basically it was sort of a, a lean-to thing <laughs> okay, against the house or the bungalow, you put a strip of wood across the wall, and on that, from there, you take a sloping roof to some upright posts the other side, and, you know, it didn't have sides or anything like that. It was just a roof, and they called it a carport. You park your car under there, and it would just keep the, in the winter, the snow and ice off it to keep the rain off the car. And a lot of people made those themselves. I remember seeing various workings going on. You know, as a kid, you're walking around and you'd see people up ladders doing these carport things themselves. I mean, not everyone, but I do remember thinking that a lot of people were making carports. And of course, they put a light on, under there as well. Uh, for, you know, when in the dark, dark winter morning, you go out to the car. Again, this was something that people made themselves or they get the help of a neighbour. Back in the uh, 60s, when people, you know, there were those that did have cars, they had a problem with the car. There was always a neighbour that knew about cars. There was always a neighbour that was a, a bit of a carpenter. There was a neighbour that was a plumber. You knew an electrician. Oh, yeah, Fred down the street, he's an electrician. So you could always call on someone for help. As I say, you didn't have to keep getting the professionals in and paying out a lot of money. I remember my brother-in-law, my sister and brother-in-law, they had this enclosure thing built on the back of their first house many decades ago. And I think he called it a conservatory. So just to wind him up, I called it a lean-to. And, you know, we've never, all these decades we've known each other, we've never forgotten that lean-to. Because a few years ago, I built a roof over the patio, you know, with this uh, multi, whatever you call it, polymer roofing stuff, 30 pounds a sheet. Good grief. And I've got about 10 sheets of this stuff. Eight sheets, is it? I don't know. It was nearly £300 just for the, is it multi-wall, whatever you call it. Anyway, he now refers to that as a lean-to. He's got his own back. It's payback time. He says to me, how's your lean-to? It's a funny expression, isn't it? Lean-to. I suppose it comes from it's leaning against the house. Although it's not really leaning against the house. It's fixed to the house. I've got a huge bit of wood across the back of the house and then all the bits coming down to the posts on the front, then the roof on that. And I actually put um, blocked in the sides as well. It's fantastic in the in the summer when it's raining, which here in the UK seems to be most days in the summer. When it's raining, though, we can sit under the patio roof. We've got a table and chairs and we can sit there and it's lovely hearing the rain on the top. And I didn't put a gutter Everyone said, oh, why haven't you put a gutter across the front to you know, get all the water away? No, I like watching this waterfall. When it's lashing with rain, it's like a waterfall and you're inside it. It's fantastic. I love it. I love hearing the sound of the rain. And of course, this roof is beneath our bedroom window. 
So at night when it's raining, we've got a little window open and we can hear the rain on the roof. I love it. Now, as my son would say, here's the thing. In the old days, people used to have like a, a wire, what was it, about a foot high, about a foot high and a long, right along the back of the house, just above the gutter, where the roof tiles come down, just above the gutter, they'd have this like net, this wire grill stuff. It was quite thick and it ran all along the back of the house over the conservatory or the enclosure. And do you know what that was for? In fact, there's one over the back of us, I've noticed. Must have been there decades. I don't think they do it anymore. That was for in the winter when it snowed, the snow would settle on the roof of the house. Okay, it would build up and build up. You get the snow perhaps a foot thick. And then suddenly, as it started to thaw, you get a whole, like an avalanche, whole load of snow would slide off the roof onto your conservatory roof, right? Your enclosure, which was glass, and it would break it. It would smash the glass. So they had these sort of metal grill things um, along the back over where the conservatory was to stop the snow falling down. The snow, which has obviously come up against that and then melt and drip into the gutter. So it wouldn't be a problem. But I remember seeing those as a kid. I remember saying to someone, what's that for? And they told me it's snow. We don't get snow like that. Well, not down south here anyway. We're on the south coast. We don't get it down here. Not these days anyway. And yet a lot of people in the old days had these snow things, whatever they were called. Now, here's the thing. Did it snow more then than it does now? That's the question. That's the thing. Now, I'm only going back about 10 years. A chap I know built a pine table for the kitchen. You know, in the old days, they'd have a pine table. I'm going back 100 years. Well, perhaps not even. Well, yeah, it must be 100 years or so. You'd have a pine table and you'd scrub the top of it. It didn't have formica on it or melamine or any plastic coating. It was just pine, raw pine wood. And you'd scrub it to keep it clean. Well, this chap I know, he, he wanted, he had quite a big kitchen and he wanted a pine table and he looked around to buy one. Well, there, was, there were places selling them, like shops that do restored pine stuff. They wanted hundreds of pounds for a table. So he built one. As, as I say, this is only about 10 years ago. So this isn't the old days. And he built this table. He got the wood. It was reclaimed wood. You know, you can go to these places where they've perhaps pulled houses down and stuff. And there's wood reclaiming places. And he bought a load of pine and made this kitchen table. Absolutely brilliant. Put a drawer in it. You know, they used to have a drawer, didn't they, for knives and forks or whatever. And it looked old because it was reclaimed wood. It wasn't all posh new wood. It was reclaimed and it was dented and uh, what do they call it? Distressed. <laughs> in fact, when people make reproduction furniture these days, they distress it. They'll make something like a, a cupboard or whatever, then hit it with metal chains and it puts dents in it and they'll put some scratches in and some dents and things and it's called distressing it. I expect the cupboard's distressed to be hit with chains, but, uh, and you know, it does have a really good effect and it makes it look old. It makes it look like it's got history. You don't want it all looking perfect like brand new wood. It, uh, it would look silly. Isn't it strange how people want to make a new piece of furniture look old. Isn't that strange? If you'd said to someone back in the 40s or 50s, we're making furniture and it's going to be reproduction, so we're going to bash it around and dent it and chip it and scratch it so it looks old, they'd have said, well, I don't want that. Mind you, there was reproduction. No, that was more antiques, wasn't it? Reproduction antiques. I don't know when people started doing that. I wonder whether people back in the 40s and 50s, I wonder whether people then wanted the older stuff, wanted their houses to look like they did in perhaps 1890, you know, like people do now. Our house isn't at all modern. Well, our kitchen is, the bathroom is, the bedroom is, but our, our dining room is more 1940s, I suppose. Yeah, 19, I didn't like the 50s stuff tubular furniture and all this weird stuff. I didn't like 1920s or 30s. 1940s, I liked that, that era because you had your radio, your wireless. There wasn't a television in the 40s. I don't know, a lot of the furniture was nice. It was decent wooden furniture. As you got to the 50s and especially the 60s, 
you see these programmes, don't you, about the family. Have you seen any of those programmes where the family go back to the 20s and they make the house they're living in all 1920s, then they move on to the 30s, 40s, 50s, and it's nice to see how the kitchen changes, the furniture changes, you get to the 50s and a TV will appear. You know, you get to the 60s and, oh, look, transistor radio on the windowsill. It's quite a good idea, those programmes. I, I like them. I like the Victorian farm things as well, how farming was back in the Victorian days and before. It's quite amazing. I, I just love looking back. I should have been a historian, really. One thing I could not do, I could not have done back then, uh, Ruth Goodman. Is it Ruth Goodman? And uh, Peter Peter Ginn, Peter Gunn, I can't remember, Alex as well. They do the Victorian farm programmes. They did a Christmas one and Ruth Goodman made the Christmas dinner and they had, oh, it was awful. It was, what was it, a pig's head or something and cow's tongue uh, roasted or, oh, I'd, watching it, watching her prepare this stuff just made me feel ill. I don't know whether I mentioned it before, but um, I don't eat meat. I'm not a vegan. Uh, I don't, I've never really called myself a vegetarian. I just don't like meat. And that started when I was at school, when I had school dinners that could only be described basically as filth. They were filth. They used to force me to eat this filthy liver stuff and it wasn't cooked properly. It was disgusting. And the bacon had white bits of white bones in it. I don't know whether it must have been really cheap cuts or something. And it completely put me off meat. So I didn't eat meat. Um, I stopped. I've tried everything. I've tried steak. I've tried at school. I was forced to eat lamb and other. It's just, I don't know. I just don't like the taste of it. That's That was the main reason I didn't eat meat from an early age. Because I didn't like the taste of it. I remember finding at school once. There was a piece of meat, goodness knows what it was, a bit of dinosaur or something they dug up, and it had veins in it, these big veins. And I remember saying to the kid next to me, what's that? He said, oh, that's the veins. That's where the blood went. Oh, oh good grief. So I don't eat meat. Uh, I haven't eaten meat for decades, and I seem to have survived. You know, people have said, oh, what about protein? Well, my wife is a, a brilliant... You know, she will eat chicken and whatever. She eats what she likes, and I eat what I like. And I don't like meat, but she cooks lovely meals for me. So I do get all the protein and stuff. I say I don't call myself a vegetarian. I suppose I am. I, I don't like labels. You know, one member of our family is vegan. And I, I don't, it sounds weird, doesn't it? These labels sound weird. Oh, you're vegetarian. Oh, look, he's veggie. So I just say to people, I don't eat meat. So how would I have fared back in the Ruth Goodman type house, the farmhouse, the Victorian farm, when <laughs> she's cooking all this weird stuff, bits of animals. She did one, what was it? Uh, oh, I can't remember what it was. It was for poor people back in the old days, what poor people would eat. And they have, is it tripe? I don't know, uh, people's brains, well, not people, animals' brains and bits of bowel and intestine. Oh, good I, no, no, I can't do that. So I don't know how I would have fed. Um, dairy products, no problem. I like eggs. I like chicken. Mind you, eggs. When you think what an egg is, uh, over, ovum. It, it, uh, I mind you, I do like eggs. So I'd have, I'd have survived. I think in those days on cheese sandwiches and boiled eggs, <laughs> and of course all the vegetables. That would have been fine. But I would have had a problem. I think. Because, I mean, obviously then you, you couldn't buy veggie burgers. We make our own, well, I say we, my wife makes veggie burgers. They're brilliant. You know Nando's, you've heard of Nando's. Well, she's got the Nando's recipe and she makes me Nando's veggie burgers. They're absolutely fantastic. Veggie burgers and chips. And there's vegetarian sausage. She makes vegetarian sausage rolls, which are really nice. I love them. And... The meat eaters in the, you know, friends and family, they love them as well. When we do our thing, Boxing Day, every Christmas, we have all the family around. Well, not last time because of COVID. And everyone heads for the vegetarian sausage rolls. They eat the real sausage rolls as well, but it's the veggie ones that people love. So you don't have to be a vegetarian 
to enjoy vegetarian food. Of course, talking of Ruth Goodman and the Victorian farm and all that, back in those days, you had to make your own stuff, a lot of it. Look at, um, they did one about Christmas with the, the, the dreadful Christmas dinner, which they all seemed to enjoy. But they made they made presents for each other, especially children. You would make wooden toys for kids. You know, a child back then wanted a wooden toy of some sort. You'd make it, you get a lump of wood and you, you'd do it yourself. You couldn't afford to go and buy stuff from toy shops. Did they have toy shops? Yeah, they must have done. I've often thought, watching those programmes, putting people back. If you could take someone and say, right, you're going back 100 years or even more than that and plonk them in a, a house and it really was back in time, literally, genuinely, how would they cope? You know, the chap would wake up in the morning. What have I got to do? Well, you've got to get out on the farm. You've got to go and milk the cows. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. I've got a clean shirt. Well, you'll have to wash it. You know, well, how do I do that? How do I iron my shirt? Well, you've got a flat piece of metal, a flat iron. You've got to stick it on the cooking range, on the, the coal thing, heat it up, then iron your shirt. I mean, to put someone back into those days, I, well, I certainly wouldn't survive. And I wonder how someone from those days, imagine if you could bring them forward in time to now. You pluck them out of 1890 and stick them into 2021. I th they'd probably, I don't think they'd have a fit. There's cars going around. Look at TV. You're, you're, ch you're chatting to someone. Only yesterday I passed a girl. She's walking towards me and she's talking. No sign of her phone, no visible sign of her telephone or anything. She was talking to someone on her mobile phone. Little earpiece, no doubt, which I couldn't see because she had long hair. And she's walking along the street having a chat. <laughs> you think, I know, you think, oh, she's a bit balmy. She needs locking up, Luke. She's talking to herself and she's not. She's on the phone. I don't know. There we are. I love looking back. I do I think apart from the meat and the hard work, could I have dealt with the hard work back in those days? I don't know, up at four in the morning. I mean, in the summer, you didn't lounge around in bed. If the sun's up at 4am, then you're out of bed, aren't you? You know, you're doing the pigs. You're, well, not doing the pigs. <laughs> I'll rephrase that. You're sorting out the pigs. You're doing uh, milking and on the cows and you're doing farm stuff. And your wife, the, you know, the lady of the house, she'd be doing cooking, preparing food, killing chickens and things for lunch or, or whatever, pickling, pickling, making jam and all this stuff. It was it was hard work, wasn't it? It must have been very, very hard work. And of course, no one was overweight. Mind you, some of these old films, no, that's Henry VIII type stuff, where you see these very old films or films of very old times, where people like Henry VIII, you know, they're huge, they're fat. That's because they all they did was eat, and they just lazed around and eating stuff all the time. People that worked on farms, or even just ordinary people that worked wherever, none of them were overweight. There was a thing on Twitter the other day, someone put a photo on of the 1950s and then the recent ones, and they said, look at that, look at all the, it was kids, I think it was, a, a load of school children. And the comment was, not one of the kids were overweight. And you look at the photo of the, the today's school kids, and it's a totally different story. Anyway, I'm beginning to ramble on. I think I've done almost an hour. I've bored you to death, bored you for an hour. Now you'll be thinking, oh no, next time I eat some meat, you will. You're, next time you eat meat, you'll be looking at it you'll be looking for veins. <laughs> so apologies for that. looking for veins. Oh, I like it. So anyway, let's let's uh, let's end it here. Ray's rants. Stop it. Ray's rants at protonmail.com looking for veins. My sister-in-law, I do try and put her off sometimes. We we go out for a meal or we'll be their house um or they'll be here. And they're eating meat. And I'll say to her, what, what's that you're eating? And she said, oh, this is um, this is lamb chop. I said, oh, right. Are there any veins in it? Are there any blood clots in it? <laughs> she looks at me and she says, you're not going to put me off. And she doesn't get put off. But she has admitted, she has said that, she says, now, now when I eat meat, sometimes I do, I do wonder. I try not to think about what it is. I try not to think about it. So sorry if I've put you off. I have nothing against people eating meat. I have nothing against people smoking. I smoked for 42 years. I have nothing against people drinking. 
Well, I don't think you should drink too much. It doesn't do your liver any good. And cigarettes, of course, don't do your lungs any good. But uh, you know, I don't, I don't knock people or look down upon people because they smoke or eat meat or drink or whatever. That's up to them. I don't try and lecture people. I try and wind up my sister-in-law, but <laughs> I don't lecture her. Happy days. Raise rants at protonmail.com. Email me and you can tell me how weird you think I am because I don't eat meat. <laughs> Steak and chips. And what is it? Steak and kidney pie. You'll all be thinking, oh, how can you live without all that? Burgers and things. Beef burgers. Take care. I shall see you all next Wednesday for the midweek message. <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing. And <laughs> what am I trying to say? Um, that's it. And then uh, the podcast, of course, on the following Sunday. Look after yourselves. Take care and I'll see you soon. Bye bye for now.